0: TheOAMnetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Podcast. This is episode 51, presented by Sarah's Cycling Group. The Sarah's family just got a little bigger with their recent acquisition of Bike Fixation. A designer and American manufacturer of public bicycle infrastructure products, Bikes Fixation, made news recently when they decided to drop the T in Fixation to officially become Bike Fixation. They wanted to call attention to their belief in the transformative power of the bike and their dedication to supporting the greatest mechanical invention on the planet with some rock-solid infrastructure. It's not a passing interest or a token appreciation. It is a fixation they hope to spread. To see the bike fixation products in action, check out their most recent blog post highlighting the relationship between public bike repair and commuting in Boston at sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. Again, that's sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. Wagon shoot.
1: I'm so glad you read that. And not
0: that, me. Was that was impossible. As a tongue That's twister. Like a tongue twister, and I feel like my mouth feels broken.
1: <laughs> I read. I read the copy, and I was like, I was like, whoa! I'm so glad Sarah is reading this week. The power of editing will allow will, will allow me uh, to save the listeners from having you read those sentences. 12 times a
0: piece. It now feels weird.
1: So you're, you're welcome listeners. The, <laughs> the power of post-production. Um, that, that was a ton of, so I'm really impressed that you made it through Thanks, all, Kyle. all in I, one take.
0: I appreciate it, Kyle. That means a lot. What's going on?
1: Um, I just want to mention, we, we, t- we touched on this last week, but I, I want to add like an additional celebratory note to this podcast because we have now been podcasting for a whole year. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Maybe you do. But our, our official anniversary date is February the 29th.
0: I'm not good at anniversary dates. And I'm glad that you are. But Happy we, anniversary.
1: Thanks. But, but but if you remember we set it up on the it's 29th. The leap year. <laughs> because it was the leap year.
0: Yeah.
1: And we were like, oh, that way it'll be funny if we only celebrate our anniversary <laughs> once every 4 years. Um but now looking back on it, I'm not sure it was that funny, but that's what that's what it is. We so we've officially have crossed into this is the first episode, episode 51 is the first episode year of our two. second year. How does it feel to be 2 years old? It feels amazing.
0: Old, Sarah? Does it feel like this is like a second season? No,
1: No. because we sort of started the new season in January, right? Right.
0: I take it back. I take it back. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't think we could.
0: Let's pretend I never even said it.
1: Calendar year, fiscal year—you know—it's all—it's all all a little bit different.
0: No, it Um, actually feels really great because, to be completely honest, uh, there's not a lot of things I do for a whole year. (laughs) I, you know, commitments not necessarily a strong point of mine. So this feels really great
1: yeah how you do still, you feel you still like it?
0: I love it i I like it even more than I did you know twelve months ago.
1: It's like my secret way to learn from super smart people and make it feel like I'm not talking to them on the phone for twelve hours. I'm just. I mean, I'm just. I'm just. I'm just using this for personal gain, really.
0: It's the most selfish thing I do.
1: I walk into a meeting and I'm like, "Listen, I got this great idea, guys." And I don't. And and I just learned it from somebody. You know, the week before when we talked to him.
0: Yeah, it's so good.
1: No, it feels really great. And you know, this year with Saris uh, coming on as a sponsor, you know, it adds a little you know freshness to to year two. So year two feels really good to me. We have.
0: Legitimacy, like Legitimacy. an actual company is sponsoring our podcast.
1: Yeah, and we can almost get through an ad copy without having <laughs> to edit out ten minutes of mistakes. <laughs> but which is
0: on us, not the ad. The ad copy is beautifully written. It's our lack true. of comprehension and reading skills.
1: <laughs> um, but you know, here's to year two. If uh, if I was with you, I'd give you a glass of prosecco.
0: I'm actually drinking prosecco, I knew you were. so I will cheers myself. Ding. <laughs> and I will uh, cheers you a, a root beer or a ginger ale.
1: Oh, I just have water right now, but
0: or, uh, I water. Did, I did find
1: three T- bottles of prosecco at work today, and I almost photographed them and text, <laughs> texted them to you. And I was like, "Just another day in the bike world."
0: Yeah, just, this is what happens. It's in just Boulder. proseccos
1: every day. <laughs> um, how have things been in Memphis?
0: Things have been good. They're busy. I think you know this kind of. We're in an early spring in Memphis and I feel like people are out and about and I think there's more events happening maybe earlier than usual because it is so nice out that people are out and active and planning community events and um, I've been really involved through work with the medical district which connects mm-hmm. our downtown and midtown. And there's just like every day, like new investment or new programming. And we're launching our free wheel, slow rides um, at the end of March or early April. So kind of working with community bike shops here in town to make sure our fleet is up to snuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, things have been really good. Really great. Yeah. How's Boulder?
1: Uh, Boulder is great. You know, it, it got up to 60 degrees <laughs> today.
0: Good. Good. Yeah, I
1: mean, I rode home, with no gloves on, that felt good. Look at you. Uh, it's going to be a nice weekend, I think. You know, things... I think people in Boulder are, like, optimistic that spring is here, but know that there's going to be, like, a Donner party-level blizzard coming through sometime yeah. pretty soon. So, nobody's quite put the gloves and the coats away into the closet yet, but things are great. I, you know, I've been... I've, I ran all week long.
0: What day um, are you on in your training?
1: Oh, I don't really know.
0: I can tell. You're on 18, I think.
1: You... You know what I like on? all
0: of your Instagram posts about it. Oh,
1: right. I forgot. And I don't
0: like anyone's Instagram. Posts.
1: <laughs> you know, you know, what's crazy is half of those are all from the same trail that I run on. They're so beautiful. Yeah. To, day like,
0: 18, a scenic lunch run.
1: Just to like put it in perspective. Like, you know, there's that much like beauty and scenery everywhere. Like, you know, there's, there's creeks that I cross over and there's mountains that I run through and canyons that I run up. And it's it's like all on the same you know four or five mile route that I that I run, and that's crazy, right? That you that there's that many sort of spots to sort of stop and take in the nature. And here I am just clogging along.
0: (laughs) I think it's also crazy that like. One day it's like snow and icy, and the next day it looks like a spring day <laughs> yeah, as well yeah. you've got a lot of weather happening yeah, it's
1: absurd is what it is It means i I bring pants to run in, and I should have brought shorts and I brought shorts to run in, and I should have brought pants. <laughs> uh, it gets muddy after the icing part, so last weekend it was it was pretty muddy here but you know i'm I'm sort of like banking on this idea that when I go run this the star wars half marathon in April, which is in Florida. That my secret weapon isn't going to be like the training and my preparation to run the, the half marathon distance. My, my my secret weapon is oxygen and flat terrain.
0: I think um, you're going to really um, kick ass because you're like training with like Kenyans up in your <laughs> um, elevation. Like you're going to get down in Florida and just like fly past people.
1: <laughs> Maybe so. That's my help. Uh, well, it's just my secret weapon. I'm not going to like pull it out unless I need it, right? But, um, you know, one one funny thing was this week was uh, maybe it was yesterday actually. It was it was really beautiful outside. I went for I don't know. I think I did like four miles yesterday during lunch, and there were tons of people out running and riding bikes on the trail. And all I could think to myself is, where were all you guys when it was twelve out here and it was snowing? <laughs> you, you fair weather treadmill runners. Because um, I know they were all indoors, but they were all like blowing past me. They're so fast here.
0: I'm excited about this episode. You are because we interviewed someone who lives and works in the smallest state in the country, Rhode Island. Rhode
1: Island. Uh, I've never, I've never actually been there. But you said that you. Have. I have
0: been there. Yes, but like I can't. You, like speak. you
1: stayed there, or you just like. Went I had through? spent
0: I think a few days in Providence. Okay. But I like have nothing else to say other than that.
1: Got it. Um, must have made a big impression on you.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure I made a big impression on it. But
1: <laughs> they're probably out of. They're still. They're still probably trying to find uh, new prosecco.
0: <laughs> yeah, I drank them out of prosecco. It's all gone. Um, but it was really interesting to hear. You know, Alex, who we interviewed, runs a statewide organization. But I think he was a really great person to talk about kind of local advocacy because a lot of his work is really locally focused. Because. Rhode Island is really small and, you know, has cities that are really close together who have similar kind of missions and looking at, you know, bike infrastructure and programming in a, in a similar way. So it was really interesting.
1: Yeah. Alex is the executive director of the Rhode Island bicycle coalition. Um, you're, you're spot on, right? I mean, he, he works in, you know, all the cities in Rhode Island, but there's not really that many cities in Rhode Island. So a lot of his work gets focused in Providence, uh, there's another great group, um, Bike Newport, which is in Newport, Rhode Island. You know, my wife is actually born in Newport.
0: I didn't know that.
1: There's a naval base there, and she was born there when uh, when her parents were still in the navy.
0: That's a fun um, fact.
1: But then she moved to Memphis, like when she was like one or two years old. So,
0: still counts. Yeah, maybe. I think it does. I was yeah. born in Camden, New Jersey. You know, people are born places.
1: <laughs> and so, would you consider yourself a New Jerseyan?
0: Considering that I lived there for six months but then went to high school there, I would say yes.
1: Is that the proper term, a New Jerseyan?
0: I have never heard that term. <laughs> <laughs> Someone from New Jersey? I don't actually know. New Jerseyan doesn't sound right. A Jersey girl. That's it. Oh. That's, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I think that's are, right. are you going to be like, Am I, after this episode, I'm going to get an email? Kyle has decided he no longer wants to go to a podcast because you use the term Jersey girl.
1: Jersey girl. Um, no, I think it's fine. They might make a musical or something out of that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, Alex was a really great person to talk to. He's familiar with the Northeast and, and Rhode Island. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a departure I think from our other guests from this theme of local advocacy because he is running a statewide group. But mm-hmm. you know, we talk about some wonky stuff um in terms of, you know, governmental politics at the state level, but we also talk about a lot of the work that he's doing there in Providence, you know, and what happens in Providence, which is the, the capital city of Rhode Island and i I haven't met Alex in person, and uh talking to him during the interview was the first time that I'd ever spoken with him, but I thought it was a really great interview. He has a lot of really great insight. What I'm beginning to see as we're talking to people you know, who are doing different advocacy is that there's a lot of really common themes that they're talking about some of the same work, and I think there's a lot of there's there's a lot to be learned from that, you know whether that's you know an understanding of the ways in which you know groups are Networking with themselves to sort of share strategies, or you know, if they're coming to those kinds of conclusions and those kinds of activities um, organically as a part. But uh, but I think it's it's a it's something that's going to continue to be replicated in in our future interviews as we continue on this theme.
0: Absolutely. Well, should we hit it?
1: Let's do it. Hey, Alex. How y'all doing? We are all right. Did you say y'all?
2: I, I did. Where
1: did a proper northeastern young man learn how to say y'all?
2: Uh, from I don't know, <laughs> from the coolest y- kids
0: on the block, the southern. Y'all,
2: y'all is an excellent word that should not be restrained to people who are from the south. I mean, my mom grew up in Pittsburgh, and I don't say yous or use guys <laughs> or whatever they say there.
1: No, because that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, you know, I <laughs> Why would
2: you? Why'd you say that?
1: No, I agree. I agree. Y'all is uh, is appropriate. It's like the perfect pronoun to use uh, f- in any circumstance. <laughs> it, it refers yeah. to anybody, singular, plural, gender. It doesn't it? Doesn't discriminate. Um, and Sarah yeah. and I, Sarah and I, are big fans of the word y'all.
0: Yeah, when yeah. I I moved to Memphis eight years ago and said I would never ever say y'all. I was from the East Coast, and I'm like, why did I ever say you guys? What a <laughs> doofus! Now y'all, I like type y'all professional emails. It's like the way yeah. to go.
2: Yeah,
1: Alex. So you know we're we're breaking from we're breaking from our theme just a little bit here with you, Alex, because our, our theme was sort of local bike advocacy, and so we, well, you know, we we were reaching out to sort of local bike advocates who were working sort of at the city level. But I felt like you know Rhode Island. Was small enough, sort of, as a state, and I know that you've got your hand in what's happening in most of the cities throughout Rhode Island, you know, Providence and Newport and others. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to let you know you're you're a little special here, um, and we're and we're well, sort of you're we're sort of bringing you in. But you know, I've never actually been to Rhode Island, Sarah. Have you been there?
0: I have been there.
1: I wonder, Alex. Could you give us like a little like? You know, 30 seconds for CBS News. What's it like to sort of live and be in Rhode Island?
2: So Rhode Island is the smallest state in the country, and people are proud of that. Um, it's the ocean state. People are proud of the beaches. Um, it has a... It's the first feature... Providence is the first featured city on the podcast Crime Town, and there's a reason for that. Uh, the Our... Um, we are getting beyond our legacy of political corruption, but, um, people are to some extent proud of that too. So.
0: I actually listened to that podcast and it was so interesting.
2: It's very interesting. I don't have a lot more to say about that. I think we're moving beyond it. You know, and I'm of the opinion that it's bad for Rhode Island to have that reputation. So, um. You know, as someone who did not grow up here but moved here two years ago, um, I'm I'm ready for Rhode Island to have a political culture that is about transparency and about data-driven policy, and is not about how Buddy CNC ran City Hall like a criminal enterprise. What brought you to Rhode Island, Alex? So my wife grew up here, and she went to Brown and. Uh, Stayed here after college, so that's what brought me here. Pretty simple story.
1: Cool, and you're and you're based in Providence, the capital. I am, yes. That's cool. I was doing. I've been doing a lot of reading about Providence the last couple of days. Um, I was reading about uh, the new mayor, Alorza. Is that correct? Yeah, Mayor Alorza doing like mayor bikes, bicycle rides. Uh, you know, last summer opened up a BMX park in. I'm gonna get the name of the park wrong. Roger Miller Park, maybe?
2: Roger Williams Park. Williams, I was close. We're very proud of Roger Williams as well because Roger Williams was the founder of Rhode Island on a on a principle of religious freedom from the Massachusetts Bay colony. And everything is named after Roger Williams here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how many how many roads are named Roger Williams?
2: Um some, I don't know. There's definitely at least two parks in Providence itself that are named Roger Williams.
1: And and how did you get involved in um, bike advocacy?
2: Um, So I've always biked to get around. Um, I grew up in a relatively bikeable college town. I went to grad school in Boston um, for urban planning. And, um, you know, climate change was always an important issue to me. And I sort of came at it from that angle as well. And then when I, but I was never really a bike advocate per se. Uh, I went to bike to work days a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when I moved to Providence, I was biking to get around, and I noticed that it was less of a mainstream uh, choice than it had been other places. And uh, after a while biking around in Rhode Island, I started getting involved with the Rhode Island Bicycle Coalition, as you know, way, you know, I do have a background in advocacy, so that kind of pushed me towards getting involved with an existing organization. And, uh, and yeah, the rest is history. I was in the right place at the right time, and I volunteered for stuff, and here I am.
0: What type of advocacy were you involved in before uh, moving to Rhode Island?
2: So my first job out of undergrad was for um, the Public Interest Network uh, MassPIRG, there's a lot of different names for various portions of the the network, but I was registering college students to vote in Philadelphia in the 2008 election, Um, and I lasted about a week doing that, but it didn't kill my spirit for advocacy. I worked a little bit to elect Barack Obama in my hometown, um, and... I was involved in town politics after graduate school in my hometown as well. So that's that's
1: so how what's the day to day activity that you're that you're working on now? You know, as sort of a as a statewide organization, are you are you traveling to other Rhode Island cities and visiting with people? Are you you know, just uh, you know, just generally sort of what's the day to day life of uh, the executive director?
2: So it's all over the place. Um, today I had a meeting with a, um, a s- someone from statewide planning about the forthcoming state bike plan. Uh, um, a couple nights ago, I convened a meeting of the league-certified bicycling instructors in the state to talk about coordinating our efforts to grow the bicycling education program in the state. I uh, had another meeting about this um, this $10 million bond that we got passed at the state level for bike path infrastructure and where that money is going to be spent. Uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, doing fundraising. Um, we're cultivating our membership. Um, one thing that I need to spend more time on in the coming weeks is planning our bike month activities. We're definitely doing bike to work day. And um, I know some partners are, are doing um, other cool events as well. So it's all over the board.
1: And maybe maybe I'm just being ignorant here, but are there local bike advocacy groups in the different cities or are, are you sort
2: of it? So there's one uh, really strong group in Newport. Bike Newport has been around um, for like five years or so mm-hmm. and um, is is really awesome. Um, that's the only local bike advocacy group, um, or bike advocacy nonprofit. There are, um, informal groups in a couple other towns. Charlestown has a small, um, committee, uh, South Kingstown has a small committee, but you know, Rhode Island is so small, we have really one urban core and that is the greater Providence area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not all Providence, um, there are a half dozen cities that make up the urban core. Um, but but th- that urban core is, is, you know, when you say traveling to other cities, there aren't many other cities. There's two <laughs> other urban cities in Rhode Island, um, Woonsocket and Newport. And the rest of the, the really urbanized cities are in the greater Providence area.
1: Gotcha. D- does it... Does it feel like local and state politics are really close to one another just, just due to the sort of the small geography of the state?
2: Yes, but at the same time, they're definitely separate. Hmm. Um, and there's a one of the running jokes in Rhode Island is that to go to the other side of the state, which is like a, an hour drive at most, <laughs> um, you got to pack your overnight bag. Um, <laughs> so, so people think about traveling around the state just as people think about traveling around Tennessee or Colorado, it's um, it's just more ridiculous.
0: <laughs> when you look at the smaller towns in Rhode Island, how are their needs or wants around kind of bike advocacy or bike culture different than, say, kind of urban Providence?
2: Um, there's probably a greater portion of people who think of bicycling as um, purely a recreational activity in the smaller towns. Uh, we've got great off-road bike paths in Rhode Island, and uh, that's sort of been the dominant um, culture of bicycling in the state for a long time. So I think there's probably fewer people who bike for transportation in the smaller towns um, than, in, than in the Providence and surrounding towns. But, um, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference.
0: And from a state legislator, le- legislative side, is there support? Are you working with partners on the legislative side on advocacy, or are you kind of building those bridges? I mean, what's the climate like around creating bike and ped-friendly communities?
2: So uh, there's the legislative and so we are working with legislators. Um, we've got a variety of allies who sponsor different legislation that we work on. Um, there's the the general political climate in the Rhode Island state legislature is um, is full of conservative Democrats, um, and of course, there's a lot of bicycling issues that are um, pretty nonpartisan. So. There's some um, there's some Republicans who are really supportive of certain things we do. Um, Most of our sponsors tend to be the more liberal legislators um, who make up about a third of the, the legislature.
0: And what's the community kind of buy in and in terms of looking at advocacy, in terms of calling, you know, people within the state legislature is there strong community support about reaching out and supporting y'all's work?
2: Um, so there's a group of organizations that have come together um, under the name Paths to Progress, which is advocated for this this bond that we recently got. Um, and that group covers a pretty broad, um, broad area. And you see that the bond passed with, um, Two thirds of the votes nationwide, and um, pre- majority support. I think in every every city and town. Um, so there's a, there's generally a lot of support in communities. Um, really, the the strong support, the the, the passionate support, uh, happens in places where you have advocates working in the community all the time. Um, like Newport, um, like uh, South Kingstown. Uh, and here in Providence, um, you know, as the urban center in Capital City, as uh, a place with a commuter rail station to Boston, um, it definitely has a lot more of the demographic of people who bike for transportation. It also has a lot of college students who are also a, a, um, a demographic that, bikes to get around a lot and and in the neighboring communities as well. You have people who bike for transportation. So those are, those are some of the places where there is a a stronger community support for um, places that are good for bicycling and having uh, a mayor in Providence who bike commutes regularly um, is, is a huge, um, is a huge step uh, so, we're excited to partner with the city in that regard too.
1: Do you see a future, Alex, where more than just Newport in Rhode Island have sort of official bike advocacy groups on the ground? Just sort of speak to your point, right? Where you're seeing the most progress and the biggest things happening, there's dedicated advocates working there. Do you do you see that happening in the future? That that organization kind of spreading, and you know, and is is part of your role to help sort of nurture that?
2: Absolutely. Um, And, you know, to some extent there are these small informal groups that, uh, that are in a few places that, that already are doing that. Um, I mean, one challenge just organizationally is funding. Um, you know, it's a nonprofit funding in Rhode Island is challenging. Um, it's a, Competitive nonprofit funding environment. Um, there's like one community foundation um, that covers the whole state. There's another one that covers Newport County, and um, and it's tricky um, finding the the funding to be sustainable as um, this I think that uh, leaner groups that don't go the the route of having staff having office space that they need to rent um have are are more the future that i can envision for um local groups in cities and towns around rhode island um but that said you know all it takes is is uh people who are really passionate and can go out and and um and organize and and recruit people so um and i think that is part of my work um I've definitely worked to support some of these smaller groups that are trying to get started, um, but you know, with with small organizations, so, you know, for example, there's one in uh, Smithfield, which is a town to the northwest of Providence, that was um, that was really promising, uh, and it was largely um, moving under the initiative of this one young guy who uh, was really awesome. And then he got another job and he started grad school, and he doesn't have time to organize that group anymore. So, um, not a lot has happened um, since then with that. So, you know, it's all about individuals. And um, we've got a really great leader in Newport, um, Barry Freeman, who runs Bike Newport. Um, we had a really nice leader in Charlestown on the coast um, of a committee there. But then town government um, reorganized a little bit with the committees and it's unclear what's going on with that now.
1: Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about the challenges associated with, you know, sort of at, due to the sort of the small nature of Rhode Island, you know, the overlapping competitions, right. For funding and, you know, I mean, it's an economy of scale thing, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 I think that I, yeah. I, you know, I think like a place like Tennessee where Sarah is working, right. You know, the, there's four big cities each with a developed advocacy organization. It's a statewide organization. Um, they're all sort of connected in a lot of ways, but there's enough resources from a you know a funding and a management standpoint to sort of you know distribute those without you know stealing too much from the bathwater to sort of make that work. Where I, I can see you know you're right. There's, there's probably some advantages of having a more lean and streamlined sort of organizational process in a place like Rhode Island. Um, just just due to some of the natures of, you know, sort of organiz- nonprofit organizational
2: structure. And, you know, from my understandings from uh, state of the movement stuff that the League and the Alliance for Biking, League of American Bicyclists, the Alliance for um, Walking and Bicycling, and it may be people for bikes. I can't remember if y'all have if produced one. Um, but my, my sense is just that uh, local advocacy groups, city-based advocacy groups, um, it's it's easier to rally people around that identity often than um, state advocacy. Um, oh, and yeah. Next week, I'm going I'm going down to the um, the what's it called um, the National Bike Summit Institute for Active Transportation Leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a gathering for state advocates, and it'll be really interesting to see. Um, what some of those peers are doing, because we've had some meetings with uh, state, the state groups around New England. Um, and you know, it's a real diversity of of, um, of situations. Maine is, is doing really awesome work. They've been around for a while. Um, Massachusetts has been around for a while. They have this cool chapter model. Maine has a really cool um, community spokes model where they are training local addicts. Cause Maine is so big, right, in terms of land area. Mm-hmm. Um, they're training local advocates they're putting a lot of resources into training local advocates to advocate on the local level and I think that's an awesome model um, uh, so and then but places like Connecticut and New Hampshire are um, at states kind of their situation is kind of similar to Rhode Island they are small organizations that um, have fits and starts so um, it's just a matter of individuals having the um, the energy and the passion and the resources to put time into getting stuff done. Um, and that's, that's both a... It means that we're agile um, as a movement, but it also means that um, if you can't keep people around for a while, um, you run into challenges.
1: What would you say is... Rhode Island's biggest challenge to being the best state in the country for bicycling?
2: Um, we, you know, I'm very cognizant that, um, the grass is always greener. Um, I think we have a bicycling culture that is really still not very mainstream. We're improving, but for example, um, you know, the DOT, the Department of Transportation, doesn't really count, do any counts of bicycling and walking. Um, you know, the legislature, there's sort of an old-school Rhode Island mentality that is still stuck in the 70s and 80s. And um, bicycling is a joke to uh, to a lot of people who have that mentality. Um, so that's one thing. other thing is that we, as a state, put a lot of energy and resources into developing our off-road trail network in uh, over the past couple decades. And um, consequently, and little Rhode Island plug here. And I love this stat. We have more miles of bike path per square miles of land area than any other state in the country. <laughs> that's great. Is, Dang. Which,
0: yeah. Which is,
2: great. <laughs> you know, it's, you might hear that and think, "Well, yeah, you got no land area; you're the smallest state in the country." But it's normalized for land area, so we got a lot of bike paths. I say, um, I
1: say, take it where you can get it, Alex.
2: Absolutely. I made an awesome. I made an awesome graphic from with with shoddy like uh, image editing on my website that you should look up on that. That it's got a runner dude with a trophy. Um, but uh, yeah, so we devoted a lot of energy to that over the past couple of decades and really not much to our on-road network at all. Um, We just got our first parking protected bike lane in Providence. Um, There's actually two short segments of on-road that have uh, uh, parking protected bike lanes. Um, Central Falls, which is one of the other urban towns in the core, um, is working on uh, some protected bike lanes as well. Um, And we've got not even that much in the way of uh, striped bike lanes in in Providence or anywhere else, um, so we got a, we got a lot of work to do in that regard. Um, the another challenge related to that is that we have narrow streets in New England. We're an old city, so places like Indianapolis or other Western cities um, were built with much wider streets than our like sixty foot maximum width. Um, I think the average width of a, of a street curb to curb in Providence is like 27 feet. So um, there's not a lot of room there. So we have to figure out what to do um, with that. And consequently, we're, uh, we butt up against parking policy all the time. Like really, in a lot of places, the only way to fit any sort of bike lane on Providence streets, and I'm sure the same is true in um, a lot of the urban core in Rhode Island, um, is to remove parking, and that is a real third rail for a lot of people. Um, so that, that's definitely an issue that we're working to overcome. Um, but we've got a really uh, we've got a really great planning department in Providence, and the mayor um, is giving them uh, what they need to tr- work on making Providence more bike friendly. Uh, and the engineering community the traffic engineering community is 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 i think they're really starting to come around as well um i hear more and more about how they're interested in um best practices and in bikeway design um and maintenance you know and we're we're tackling these little these little um details like um how do you clear snow out of a protected bike lane what is the cost of Uh, a mile of protected bike lane over just strike bike lane. Um, We are doing road diets, which is a great way to reduce speeds and get extra um, space in the roadway for something like protected bike lane. So um, we're making progress, but we have spent a lot of time focused on the off-road to the detriment of the on-road in the past couple decades.
0: Do you see Providence emerging as kind of a best practice for the state to look at around planning and engineering since they do have some latitude to, to try things and be more agile and, and look at kind of new ways to install bike lanes and the importance of protected bike lanes?
2: Definitely. Um, I mean, I think that it just takes municipal leadership from planners, from mayors, from public works offices, um, which is, comes down to small-P politics um, often. So if you have one person who's a great municipal planner in East Providence, say, um, who's able to win over the city council and the mayor and get the go-ahead to do stuff, they could vault ahead of, of Providence, which is a different city than East Providence. Um, and so it just comes down to that. Um the other thing I mentioned is the fact that um, there's such a huge difference in the appropriate bicycling infrastructure in an urban environment, in a suburban environment, and a rural environment. And Rhode Island has all three um, in spades. So um, I wouldn't expect Coventry, which is um, contains one of our newest bike paths but is otherwise pre rural, I wouldn't expect them to be uh, revved up about putting in protected bike lanes in their streets because their streets have like, I don't know, a couple hundred cars a day on them, you know? So, um, really it's about finding appropriate infrastructure for different types of places. And, you know, because it's underserved and because it's the capital city and because it's, um, it's where a lot of the gaps in our bike path network are, I focus a lot of my energy on Providence um, and generally the urban environment. Um, But, you know, I don't want to be so arrogant to assume that what is good in the urban environment that I spend a lot of time thinking about is also going to be good for these rural and suburban communities.
1: So you mentioned a second ago that in addition to infrastructure being a challenge, that also – you know, the creation of a of a bike culture was also a challenge. I, I, I wonder, do you have an opinion about what comes first, the, the chicken or the egg, <laughs> the, the egg there? Um, you know, is the culture driving the infrastructure? Or is infrastructure driving the culture? You know, and how does your work, you know, work to sort of, you know, drive uh, either of those or, or both of those simultaneously?
2: Well, as with any chicken-the-egg problem, it's a combination of both. Um, it's hard to vault to a, um, an amazing platinum level bike culture from scratch when you don't have a lot of, um, good bike infrastructure to start. Um, but that said, uh, they go hand in hand, but infrastructure comes first. Infrastructure comes first because, um, to grow the culture, we need more ridership. Uh, I believe people for bikes did a national survey uh, a couple years ago that found something like 60% of the country wants to bike more, but doesn't want to bike in traffic. So if you provide them with those opportunities to do so, people will bike more. Um, so I definitely feel infrastructure comes first. Um, but there, there are other things we can do while we are, um, getting better infrastructure, uh, one of those things that we're doing is trying to grow our bike education program. So I mentioned, we had a meeting of our, um, our certified bicycle instructors in the state who are certified in the league of American bicyclists, smart cycling curriculum. Um, and we want to really expand what, um, what we have to offer to people who want to learn how to bike more. Um, and there's different needs like, uh, Working with kids in schools, one of our coalition partners, uh, Recycle a Bike, is really leading the way in um, offering education programs to to Rhode Island Rhode Island's, um, school kids. Um, but adults need smart cycling education as well, um, and we're uh, looking at how to how to really grow that program. We have a grant right now from uh, the state Highway Safety Office to. Um, to subsidize some classes in that. Um, and another thing is just visibility uh, in expanding the bike culture. Um, just the fact that Ride Bike, as we call it, the Rite Bicycle Coalition, just the fact that we're here and doing this work and unashamed of the fact that we bike and excited about bikes and doing stuff about bikes, um, that makes a difference in terms of Of culture change. Culture change is slow, and just having examples of people who are excited about how you want the world to be, to be a bike friendly place, um, that goes a long way. So it doesn't happen fast, but that sort of thing is important.
0: Alex, I'm interested. I know that you have monthly advocacy committee meetings and you obviously have a strong volunteer base (laughs) or you're like a superhero and you could be both. So what do your volunteers look like in terms of are they the usual suspects who have planning backgrounds or, you know, really care about sustainable transportation? Who's attending the advocacy committee groups? Kind of who do your stakeholders look like?
2: So, our advocacy committee meetings are changing um, they we've just adopted this new framework that we um, got from the livable streets alliance in in the Boston area. but the people who come to those meetings are you know i don't I don't know about usual suspects definitely they don't all have planning backgrounds although some do um they're a mixture of people who bike for transportation and wish that it were more mainstream and people who have a uh, sort of an urbanist philosophy um, and m- bike. But the the more motivating factor is they want the places to be better for bicycling. Um, so it's more the former. It's more people who, who love biking and want more people to do it and want the streets to be better for bicycling. Um, Those transportation bicyclists. um, But it's, and it's a variety of people. You know, we have some people show up who their main interaction with bicycling is a charity ride or a club ride. Um, They, they come sometimes not as much as the, the uh, transportation bicyclists, but they do show up. Um, So it's a variety of people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize it hundred percent one way or the other.
0: In your dream world, like who would attend an advocacy committee meeting? Like, is there anyone that you wish were attending or industries that were attending or stakeholders that were attending?
2: Oh man, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a really great answer to it. Um, I would love to see more people of color at some of these meetings Um, Rhode Island has a huge and growing Latina population, especially in the urban core. Um, And I would love to see um, more of those folks come to our meetings. Um, And also, I would love to see more um, people in the corporate world um, be involved in Rye Bike, I think, when you can get those um, those connections, they can be gateways to um, to relationships with those companies that can result in them becoming bike friendly businesses. It can result in um, in funding. It can result in um, more volunteers because I know there's lots, often strong volunteer uh, cultures in those companies. Um, so I'd love to see that as well. We have a little bit of that, but I think there could be more. Alex, are you involved in the City Walk
1: Corridor that's uh, you know being developed in Providence? Yeah. Cool. I you, am. So I, I can ask you some questions about that.
2: <laughs> Funny thing, you should ask me about that, Kyle. <laughs>
1: well, I just I, before I asked him, I wanted to be—I wanted to make sure you were actually involved. Uh, you know, so I know that Providence is working on a you know a conceptual plan that they've called the City Walk Corridor. Uh, which sort of connects the downtown to the southwestern portion of Providence? Maybe maybe you can correct my geography if I've got that kind of wrong. Um,
2: it's, the, it's the southern part of Providence.
1: Yeah, but but I know that it includes plans to develop you know something like ten miles of protected bike lane corridors into a network over the next couple of years, and it's also a community you know you were just speaking about. Uh, a large Latino Hispanic population in Providence itself. Um, but it's something like 60% of the people living in this corridor area, uh, are identify as Latino Hispanic. And I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that project and cause it seems like a really exciting, um, piece of momentum that's happening uh, in the community there.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, well, city walk is really exciting. There's a lot of momentum behind it right now. Um, so your listeners know, Kyle, um, City Walk it was the project selected by people for bikes in the city of Providence to be one of ten communities as part of the big jump program. Oh, what a, a coincidence. Place. Oh yeah, wow. I, I, Interesting in case, in case you've heard of <laughs> it. Um, I think this is this is, you you started this program, right, Kyle? Uh,
1: I wouldn't say I started it, but i but I'm but you're running. I'm, I'm heading it
2: up, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, and we're super excited to be a part of it. Um, so that's just the latest piece of momentum be- behind this project. Um, it is, th- there's funding for city walk in the state transportation improvement plan, the tip, um, there, what else is There's a re- oh, another thing recently. Oh, I can't remember, but, um, and there's generally a lot of buy-in from the city. I would say that's another piece of it. Um, the so about the project so it started um gosh i don't like five a couple years ago three years ago five years ago um a group of folks including the providence foundation uh neighborhood association in um part of what's really part of downtown um and uh landscape architect uh are sort of the the big forces behind it, and through some community meetings, uh, they put together this this really fantastic um, uh, vision and design document for what this this might look like. Um, breaking it up into different segments, um, there's very different characters to the the areas that the route goes through, and the general idea of the route is that it connects India Point Park. Um, to Roger Williams Park, both in the city of Providence, um, Indian Point Park is pretty close to downtown, also close to Brown University and RISD um, in the Fox Point neighborhood, and then Roger Williams Park is down on the southern edge of the city of Providence in the Washington Park neighborhood near South Providence, um, which are both um, which are both lower income uh, community neighborhoods than in um, downtown on the East Side, so. Um, like I said, it has a lot of different characters. And I think the part we're focusing on, especially um, in the big jump program is the, the, the long stretches through South Providence on these two um, arterial streets, Elmwood Ave and Broad Street um, to, for the the final connection to Roger Williams park. Um, So it's super exciting. There's also another spur that, gets uh the route close to one of our offered bike paths um but this is sort of the the spine of providence's future bike lane network it goes really through the well not really through the middle of the city but through the middle of the biggest part of the city which is the sort of the southern quadrant of the city um and a lot of it is through is um pretty underserved neighborhoods, which is awesome to uh, focus there for bike infrastructure. Um, Elmwood Ave, one of the long legs of the corridor that I mentioned previously was, um, was rebuilt not very long ago, only a couple of years ago by the state DOT. And to my understanding um, when that was in planning, uh, some of the neighborhood groups uh, around there were, we're asking DOT to build a protected protect bike lane into that redesign, and they said no. Instead, they built it more like uh, traditional—I um, don't want to say highway, but um, but car-centric um, environment. So, one of the challenges on that side is just that it was rebuilt recently. So, how do we fit? New infrastructure into a into a road that is not um, not being repaved right now. Um, so I mentioned that because there has been in the past strong um, neighborhood support of getting um, bike infrastructure there, but really it's this is because this is so conceptual. Um, there's a lot of community buy-in that still needs to happen. Um, the The city planning office is really on board. The um, the organizers and advocates who who um, have really been behind the plan for a while have have succeeded in that regard in getting the city on board. And now um, it's a matter of um, getting the whole community to have a shared vision for it and getting it built. So I'm super excited about CityWalk. I actually built the website for CityWalk. Um, so I'm excited about
1: that as well. Executive director and webmaster. You should add that to your, uh, your email signature.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a jack of all trades when you're a staff of one.
1: That's true. <laughs> Understood that. Um, so you mentioned something just a second ago, and I, I this is may- maybe a wonky question. So forgive me, Sarah. But
2: Is Sarah not a wonk?
1: You no. have a podcast called Bike Nerds. Yeah.
0: I am not a wonk, no wonk, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like other wonky people. But go on, Kyle.
1: <laughs> but Alex, you mentioned the stip, right? This the State Transportation Improvement Program, and I would say advocates across the country, you know, can rattle off acronyms like the stip, like the tip, like the MPO, like the STP, uh, the CIP the, you know, what whatever other acronym we can come up with in our head to deal with transportation issues. And I wonder, as you think about sort of your work over the last couple of years, you know, to what degree is getting into transportation funding, planning, and sort of policy at that level, you know, where where you're familiar with the acronyms, you're thinking about a lot of that stuff has to do with sort of long-term success. You know, how important is that versus spending time in communities and building support? Anyway, this kind of gets back to my my other question, right, about sort of infrastructure versus culture, but it's sort of a step removed from that a little bit. You know, to what to what degree should advocates, in your opinion, be focused on becoming the wonks versus building really authentic grassroots movements that change, you know, the cultural identity of
2: a place? Um, That's a great question. I mean, it really depends on what your strengths are. Um, You need to do both, uh, building support in the community and being a wonk, knowing about those details of funding. Um, I think one of the biggest roles of an advocacy organization is translating between the two worlds is translating the, uh, the acronyms to community members and translating community needs to, uh, planners and, and bureaucrats. Um, so I think that translation is the essence of of the answer to your question. I mean, you need to be doing both and you need to be doing both because, um, because that's what it comes down to. And I think, um, yeah, the I see a lot of people who have, for example, been in government for a while, use these acronyms. And if they're not planners, they sometimes will forget to tell the public what these acronyms mean. And, uh, planners are generally great at that, um, at spelling out acronyms, but you got to spell them out because, um, Other people have no clue what you're talking about. And it's important for people to know what the acronyms mean um, or at least what you're talking about because uh, they're often about funding and funding is often the barrier to um, having your neighborhood be better uh, for biking, for whatever. So that's what advocacy is about. It's about helping community members um, make their – neighborhood, their communities better, and it's about translation.
1: Sarah, maybe maybe we'll play a game where I'll just rattle off some acronyms and see if you can guess what they mean.
0: So I actually know a few more ac- acronyms since, since you left Memphis, maybe because I didn't have you to translate <laughs> for me, but it is from someone who doesn't have that background. It's continually overwhelming um, to know how to navigate what a tip is and that you should probably go to the MPO meeting if you received funding and how do you even receive
2: planning organization? Exactly.
0: It's just like all the steps are, are I think really complicated if you don't even know where to begin. So I really appreciate your perspective, Alex, on, you know, spell what the acronym means. Like let's actually talk and not make assumptions that everyone knows. And is like on the inside track of the acronym world.
1: Scuba is an acronym.
0: What does that stand for?
1: Um, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus.
0: Wow. I like <laughs> that.
1: I mean, there's, ac- there's acronyms acronym in our as well. Lives. Yeah.
0: Um, Kis- kiss is an acronym.
1: Kids in Satan's service.
0: Keep it simple, stupid.
1: Oh, I thought you meant kiss the band.
0: <laughs> I guess so. <laughs>
1: Alex, uh, what's the most exciting thing that's sort of on your plate right now? What are you What are you looking forward to the most? You know, what are you waking up every day really energized and jazzed? Uh, you know, to get to work doing.
2: One of the most exciting things is Kyle's visit to Providence in early April. We're planning out a really awesome itinerary for for the People for Bikes Big Jump uh, site visit. Um, but other non-pandering things that are exciting are. Um, both the city of Providence and the state are um, getting rolling with new bike plans. Um, the state is on the cusp of uh, announcing their consultant for their statewide bike plan. And the city of Providence is, um, you know, while they're not quite that close, they are, they want to do a, a reboot to their bike plan. And it, my sense is it's coming pretty soon. Um so those things, and then this green economy bond, which I mentioned, it's, um, you know, through the, the state transportation improvement plan, the STIP that Kyle mentioned, um, which is where most of the federal transportation funding um, gets funneled through, uh, there's only a handful of bike projects over the next 10 years that are planned. And this green economy bond um, that we worked a lot on, has $10 million that's going to 10 different projects approximately. Actually, it's going to be more than 10 projects. Um, and that's all going to happen in the next two or three years. Um, so we're going to see some really great progress on that um, much sooner than we would normally. And one of the most exciting things about this is just that the state is really listening to advocates about where this money should be spent. Um, this Path to Progress group, um, put together our recommended list of projects, and then we just got back sort of the almost final draft of the project list from the state, and it's nearly identical, which is really fantastic. Um, And one of the exciting things about it, and the reason I couldn't say it was just 10 projects, is that there's some money in there for on-road infrastructure as well um, that is to be determined, Um, and they're going to come back to the advocate group to – to give some recommendations on where that on-road money should be spent. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and I, you know, I'm a wonk. I'm a planner. I, I'm excited about these planning things. But um, another thing I'm excited about that's on the ground already is this uh, Fountain Street uh, protected bike lane in downtown Providence. It's, um, it's not separated with anything vertical from traffic, except for parked cars. There's a painted buffer and the parked cars are between the bike lane and the, the car traffic. Um, and it's the first time we've done this in the city and the state. And it uh, initially we had um, cars parking against the curb a lot, blocking the bike lane. But even with um, without a huge educational campaign, to tell people what they should be doing, people are learning. Um, the police are, are are writing parking tickets here and there when people park in the bike lane. Um, and just generally people are getting the hang of it. So that's really encouraging in, in terms of the driving culture relating to bikes that um, it is getting, people are learning what to do when there is um, new and Relatively innovative um,
0: bike infrastructure. So that's good. Another exciting thing. Wow, Kyle, I think you're going to have a really good trip to Providence.
1: Yeah, I know that it's going to involve uh, one of the evening bike rides with the mayor. He, he's, he holds um, monthly, is that correct, Alex? Monthly bike They're rides? Quarterly now. Quarterly. All right. Well, but he, that's going to be happening while we're there, Sarah. So I'm going to get to ride a bike with the
2: mayor.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I cannot wait to hear about that.
2: Well, Al- a, he's a hardcore bicyclist. He, what do
0: you mean uh, by hardcore?
2: He is not afraid of anything. And, uh, he, he bikes through some pretty hairy streets on his way to work. And I've biked with him once or twice. And, um, <laughs> his staff got him to start wearing a helmet. Uh, they got him to stop running red lights. um, <laughs> and
0: uh, i like the sound of this guy <laughs> yeah he's he
2: he's yeah he's hardcore um so but he he really get, gets it you know i um there's there's a time when i was worried that because he was so hardcore he didn't understand that most people um are not that way and mm-hmm. need to be separated from traffic in order to feel comfortable on the road um and I was talking to him about this on one of these rides and he he totally does get it he gets that we need to have protected bike lanes so um i really am grateful that that he's our mayor and um hope he continues to be so
0: well let's see if he can keep keep up with uh wild wagon shoots
2: I think
1: I'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, thanks so much for taking a hour out of your afternoon to talk with us. Um, really looking forward to meeting you in a couple of weeks. It's, it's not that far away. Actually, April's almost tomorrow. Um, and you know, thanks so much for all the good work that you're doing there in Rhode Island, keeping the smallest state in the union safe.
2: Thank you for the work you guys are doing in your, in your respective communities and across the country. This is great. I am talking about this
1: stuff. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of The Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoemnetwork.com slash Nerds.
0: Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at The Bike Nerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at nerdspodcast at gmail.com.